From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by prolific author and speaker Rav Moshe Meir Weiss. Rav Weiss discusses his relationship with Rav Moshe Feinstein, shares tips and tricks for having a healthy relationship, and explains what we can learn from playing chess. Also, Rabbi Goldberg is joined by a special guest host, and they talk about visiting day and sitter snippets, debate the Oxford comma, and make a phone call to celebrate a special birthday. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I am your host, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined by my dear friend and brother-in-law and the fact-checker of Behind the Bima, special guest co-host tonight, Binyamin Michelle. Binyamin, welcome. Thanks for joining. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I frankly don't know what I'm doing here. And I also don't know why after 93 episodes, this is the 94th, you would use all that credibility and goodwill you've built up with your large listener base to essentially ruin it by having just me on tonight. Not ruining anything. It's great to have you here. It's great to be together tonight. Uh, you may recognize Benjamin's voice because he is the voice of the opening. If you're listening to Behind the Bima on podcast, which gets published after. On Wednesday nights, we uh, we do this live. We are live right now, I'm trying to figure out how like, to hold up a newspaper or something. How can I prove to you this is live right now? Uh, in fact, we may prove that to you shortly in a way, which is somewhat of a gamble. But we come to you live. The interview is often uh, recorded depending on the person, the place, the timing of it. But the intro, the before and after are live, and we are live right now. So Binyamin, when we publish yes. the podcast, uh, Binyamin is that voice. Binyamin, give, give our audience a little uh, proof to them that you are that opening voice. Let's see yeah, it's funny it. because it's I, I do a little uh, radio type voice for that because I've actually had conversations with people, including one of your co-hosts, who did not realize until maybe two years into the show that I was doing these intros because I do a little bit of different like from Boca Raton, Florida. This is behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by the fact checker. <laughs> exactly. Now I understand there's some hand motions that go along with that. <laughs> uh, there might be some hand motions. It's for it's to help with the cadence. And one of my um, broadcasting idols is the Mets announcer Gary Cohen. And a couple of years ago, they started this thing where they show clips of like if it's a big play, they'll show oh here, not just here's the play, but like maybe the next day or later that day, here's what the announcers look like calling the play. And Gary Cohen, who is the best at what he does, also does these like a lot of like, you know, fist pumps or things. And I don't think it's because he's so excited about the play, though he is. I think it's to get a certain comfort level with the cadence and with the pacing of what he's trying to do and how he's trying to control his voice. So me being, you know, obviously at that level of what we're trying to do here. So I also decided that, you know, to get a very professional sounding open to try to control my voice and the pacing of the cadence. So like from Boca Raton, Florida, this, I say, this is behind the Bima. Exactly. You got to use like a chazan. You got to use that. You got to use that hand motion. So, um, we do thank you for that and for so much else that you do, and we're uh, deeply appreciative of it. Benjamin, you have a, a history. At one point, you had an aspiration. Uh, Benjamin is a lawyer, um, but at one point, you wanted to be in radio, actually sports, right? Commenting. What, what is your radio background? I think we lost. Benjamin is frozen, so he's officially a member of the uh, broadcast. No, back? I'm back. Okay, good. Uh, so yeah, tell I, hear, I hear something well, about aspirations. Was it YU Max at one point? Was it WFAN? What is the, what is the background? Do you hear me? We are losing. We are losing. Oh, so in the meantime, in the meantime is that I you or is it me? 
I think it might be you. But in the meantime, I will mention that we continue to encourage everybody to sign up for our one and one campaign. The one and one campaign is in the merit of Esti Moskowitz, our beloved Rabbi Moskowitz, who is focused, of course, on uh, Esti's healing and well-being. And we daven for her. We ask everyone, join the one and one campaign. A dollar a day of giving, a minute a day of Torah learning. One and one. All of us have a dollar a day. All of us have a minute a day of total learning. Those minutes have been beautiful. We've had a really fantastic, diverse contribution. Rabbis around the world, that minute a day is really inspiring. The dollar a day. We're really grateful to Dr. Donath and Daily Giving, our partner. I know Rav Moshe Meir Weiss, our guest tonight, was in early and a, a big fan of Daily Giving. Daily Giving is a fantastic way to, uh, for a dollar a day, diversify contributions. There's over $10,000 a day giving, given out because of the dollar a day, and you can be part of that. So go to beerusonline.org slash one and one, beerusonline.org slash one and one, a dollar a day, a minute a day, one-on-one campaign, the merit, Esti Moskowitz, she and all those who are ill should have a speedy and a painless and a complete refuah shlema. And I'll just mention, the other night I was speaking to Rabbi Moskowitz, and he told me, he knew that he and Arya would be, would be very moved by each person who signs up. The Moskowitzes are notified. They know, Esti knows, every time a person signs up, a dollar a day of tzedakah, a minute a day of learning. He never anticipated just how much strength and support it would give them. That each name they get, every time they see that someone else signed up, and they're finding another minute in their day, and they're finding a dollar in their wallet, and they're doing it for Esti, it mamish gives them strength. It mamish moves them. BRS, we don't get anything out of this. I'm not trying to... uh, to uh, exploit by telling you that it's purely for stuck. It's the recipients through daily giving. It's purely the Torah that you're learning and you're gaining. So I hope that people will take advantage of the one and one campaign. But Yaman, you back with us? Can you hear me? Yeah, and I'll also add that I've heard from, yeah, can you hear me? I can. Okay. So I'll also add that I've heard from people on the other end, the people who are in the WhatsApp group uh, that are receiving the Torah because uh, I have the privilege of just hitting publish every day and sending these out that someone came people have come over to me and said they love it they love hearing one minute a day they love hearing the different tour from a variety of people so we are getting great feedback not from Benjamin right now who keeps coming in and out we're gonna have to Benjamin. this is evidence by the way that you are a major major celebrity because the most famous and the biggest celebrities that we've had on behind the bima have the worst wi-fi <laughs> and come in and out also evidence that tonight's show is live so we're gonna let you figure that out over there i think we're us? fine we're fine now okay yeah so talk to us about when, when i first met you when you were marrying mm-hmm. my little sister-in-law you were binny michelle and you 16 years ago is it 16 amazing I, you, uh, for, for context, Benjamin, michelle. yeah for context uh we got engaged the week you were installed as the brs senior rabbi wow your installation was march Fifth, and we were engaged March eighth, twenty uh, two thousand six. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. That's great memory. Great association. So, when did you decide to go from Bini to Binyamin? The only one I know who still calls you <laughs> Bini is my new Machutin, Rabbi Eli Storch. Other than him, I don't know anyone calling you Bini. Everyone you've gotten to call you Binyamin. Why did you do that? And how did you do that? I don't think it's that interesting necessarily, but I mean. I was always Binyamin. My family named me Binyamin and they called me Binyamin and that's all I was called. Then eventually you get to school and I think it was fourth grade. One of my good friends decided to shorten my name as many people do and it just became Biddy. And then it sort of took off. My friends in school called me and that went from Ashar and Muncie to MTA to Karen Biavna and sort of people who met me through the years uh, were always calling me that. And that was fine, but it was weird because I had two names because anybody I was related to 
was calling me Vinyam because that was the name of the family. But anybody I was friendly with, friends were calling me Vinny. And then it just sort of got complicated. And I think, I don't know, I, I, I may have been encouraged by my wife to pursue one of these <laughs> options. No, but it's true because I think ultimately for consistency purposes, I think it's, you know, it's, people will call you one thing. Um, right. But I mean, I don't, I, I don't correct people when necessarily, if they call me Benny, that's fine. Um, I find it funny, especially when people who've never met me before, but have heard of me or somehow like they end up calling me Benny because that's how they heard my name or something. It's just like, I've sometimes will say, Oh, that's funny. Like we've just met. I don't know. I've, I introduced myself always as Benjamin. And I think, at some point, it was just like, okay, let's see if we can get more people on board with calling me that. I guess you know what period of the life. Like, my mother has her full name, and my mother has a nickname that she had in her childhood. So anyone who knows her from Elizabeth, New Jersey, circa, I'm not in my right mind going to say the year, will call her by that nickname. And then you know <laughs> who knew her in her youth. So if someone sees her in shul, walks up to her oh, wait, and says, Are we not, are we not saying the nickname? So-and-so. Yeah. Well, you are can, we not going with the nickname? I don't like to say my mother's name, you know. It's an honor thing. But uh, or her nickname. Oh, no, what the, what the nickname was. Her nickname was Bashi. Her name is Basheva. Oh, okay. Her name is Bashi. So when someone walks up and says that, you know exactly when they knew her from. And I guess the same is true with you. So Benjamin wears many hats, or Benny, however you want to call him. And uh, he's a huge asset and a huge help to me in so many ways. So I'm so glad he's on tonight, even just to be able to uh, say thank you publicly, not only for being the opening voice and introduction to Behind the Bima, um, but really for editing and redlining and helping me research and just making me a better rabbi and a better person every which way. So I'm really grateful for all of that. People ask me, you know, who makes my source sheets? <laughs> me, myself, and I. Uh, I'm the one who does it. I think you have a research yeah. assistant, and, and I don't. I'm proud. I'm grateful. I'm happy. I'm uh, gratified that I, I do all that myself. But Benjamin is a huge help, particularly on the editing. So I would say here are the two biggest machlokes, and these are the two biggest debates Benjamin and I have in the world of editing. So I write my thoughts. I'm a terribly terrible speller and, and my grammar could use some work and uh, organizing the thoughts better. Binyamin is a huge help to me with that. What would you say, Binyamin, are the two things that I'm about to mention that we disagree about in the editing on the red line? Um, without question, the two that we've been fighting about for years are the Oxford comma and Correct. two spaces after a period, both of which I am right about and you are wrong about. <laughs> both of which I am right about and you are wrong about. Two spaces, yes. absolutely. My thumbs hit two spaces in between sentences. I can't hit one. The two are automatic. That's correct. That's the right way. That's how I was taught. I know you're going to tell me it's based on the typewriter. We don't have typewriters anymore. But there are certain things yep. that we have and that we have to do because it's the way it's always been. It's, it's annoyingly extra white space that just doesn't need to be there. It was a leftover from the typewriter days that needs to go away. And there is simply no need for it. It's a margin. It's a little breathing room. Just like the Torah, Lahavdil has psuchos and stumos. The Torah has gaps where Moshe Rabbeinu said, let me think, let me absorb it. So sometimes you continue on the same line. Sometimes the Torah continues on another line. Psuchos and stumos. Lahavdil, Lahavdil. In publishing, I won't say my own writing because Lahavdil, but those extra spaces between sentences, there's a space between words and then between sentences to catch your breath. And for margin, two, two spaces. Yeah, um, it's not necessary. This is there's there's just no need for it. It's extra space. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't look. It, it's not pleasing to the eye. And I used to correct you on this literally in the red line. I would first thing I would do is I hit Control H and find every extra space and just if Control H is find replace. So I'd find the two spaces after a period and then replace it with the one space and then that got a little excessive. So 
Um, yeah, so that's but, one debate. Oxford comma, I'm more lenient on. I, I could put the comma, don't put the comma. I could live, I, I don't need it. I still don't think it looks right, the comma before the word end. The end is in lieu of the comma to me. I don't think it's necessary, that extra comma, but doesn't doesn't offend me as much as the one space. No, the Oxford comma is absolutely necessary. I mean, you could Google this because I know I just Googled it now, like examples of what sentences look like without it. Like uh, we went, we went, uh, we went for a walk with our dogs, comma, grandma and grandpa. So without the comma, it's our dogs are our grandma and grandpa. With the second comma, it's with their dogs, comma, grandma, comma, and grandpa. These are three different people you went for a walk with. I mean, are three different uh, entities you went for a walk with. I mean, this is this one's simple. And again, are you, trying, um, are you trying to fact check while you're on the show? You're fact checking yourself and me actually live on the show. I, I mean, we, do you remember how the fact checking started? Actually, it was it was it was in the Zoom webinar days, back when the show first started, because I was sending comments in on the webinar when it was literal fact check. Like, no, I think this got wrong. This was you may have, you may have this wrong. I think right. your daughter's birthday is actually uh, this day. <laughs> things like, you know, little things like that. little details. Benjamin has actually been with us since the beginning. We're coming up on our hundredth episode. We're trying to plan something exciting for that hundredth episode, which may include. Uh, Benjamin coming back as the fact checker and posing, please God, we'll have Rabbi Brody, Rabbi Moskowitz back for that one to celebrate the hundredth episode and maybe maybe a little trivia to pose uh, some quotes and figure out who said it, uh, maybe which were the most listened to, maybe uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll have some fun. If you have an idea of what you'd like to see in that hundredth episode, or you want to weigh in on the great debate of the Oxford comma and the two spaces versus one, yeah. the comments are open on YouTube. Please feel free. Like I said, you had all this goodwill built up for 93 episodes. You're blowing it on a lawyer who's debating the merits of the Oxford comma. I mean, this is this is where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, people um, on the edge of their seats. But I also right miss now. the anonymity. I mean, this was, it, we had like a fun thing going for a while where people 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 didn't um, people. I was just gonna say people didn't know who I was for a while. I was like, oh, this mysterious fact checker. We kind of had a good thing going, and then people would give me a wink, wink, like, oh, I think it's you. I know it's you. And then last week we just blew it right out there with uh, hello fold. We did. You know, sometimes good things must come to an end. You got you to sure. share it. We're going to bring on Rev. Moshe Mayor Weiss momentarily. Moshe Mayor Weiss is a um, fantastic Tamil and a prolific author and speaker and a very exciting conversation. But first, first, Benjamin and I are going to do a little experiment over here. And this is unscripted and this was not pre-planned. And this will be perhaps the greatest evidence of all that this is a live show. And, and let's see yes. how this goes. We're going to call someone live on the air right now. Can you oh, hear that? Is, that? is that yeah, being yeah. picked up? Are we not telling the, telling the audience why we're doing this? No. Okay. Let's see if the answers. Come on, come on. Hello. Hello, Abba. It's Ephraim. Hello, Ephraim. Ephraim and, and Binyamin. You are live right now on Behind the Bima. And Binyamin Hi, and I... <laughs> no, no, please. <laughs> you, are, you are live on Behind the Bima. Uh, Benjamin and I, you're, you're two of your favorite sons-in-law, just wanted to, in front of the entire world, wish you a happy 75th birthday, 75 so years old, and uh, you should continue to have strength and health and nachas and pride and great things. What do you want to tell the Behind the Bima audience about your first 75 years here on earth? Baruch Hashem, uh, it's been wonderful, and the uh, only thing I have to thank Kodesh Baruch that I, I reached this point, and I'm and I'm, most important, I'm healthy and in good shape, and I have wonderful, wonderful children, grandchildren, sons-in-law, and great-grandchildren, and and, and that's, that's a bracha. And, uh, Amen. This episode is for you, Benjamin and I are uh, 
dedicating it in your honor of this big milestone, this major birthday, the 75 years. You know, thank God, Abba Bliai and Hara, uh, you're in great shape. You're learning sharper than ever. What are your secrets to your success? What would you tell our audience is important as a person goes on in life? How do you stay young? Uh, marry a good wife. Oh, that's good. That is a very good suggestion. You know, you know, you know and, and you know, and what can I tell you? Say, you know, don't, 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 don't get too nervous and upset and, you know, things, things go, uh, not everything goes your way, but, you know, if you, if you, you take things as they come and don't get, don't let things upset you, uh, things go well. Always look at that, you know, you look around and unfortunately the many people have much worse situations and, uh, Be Be grateful for what you have and don't sweat the small stuff. Abba, how did you celebrate your birthday tonight? Could you share with everyone what you had for dinner? (laughs) You stole my question. I was going to ask that. Well, actually, uh, your your mother-in-law made me last night, made made a a fantastic birthday meal for me, uh, which is our annual uh, bread and veal cutlets, garlic and onion mashed potatoes, and uh, uh chocolate horn from zomix so it was very good how did, how did that tradition begin uh that's a very good question i know it's been going on for about, uh, maybe 20 years 25 years primarily because i don't get it during the year you know? special <laughs> reserve especially yeah, special it's reserved for just the the uh the birthday so uh you know it makes it special okay i don't know actually what it was is when when we when i was in medical school and i was eating at the stern cafeteria where i met uh, your mother-in-law um that was one of the specials that i used to get uh at, at and they charged me four and a half dollars for the meal which was a special student rate at the time so that was very nice so it's 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 uh it's uh, you know the 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 uh the courtship days, uh, we, I get the, the uh, bread and veal cutlet like we had in the Stern cafeteria back, Beautiful. back over, over 50 years ago. Beautiful. You should have many, many more years together. Good health and happiness. Abba, we Thank love you. you. A lot of nachas. And... Thank you. Can you, can, can you hear me? Abba, happy birthday. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What? I am. We're trying to do an interview uh, over, the, hey. <laughs> over the show. Happy birthday, Abba. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and I... And I, and I and I want to say how how proud we are of both of you. Uh, you know, uh, you 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 do so much, and you're you're, you're such wonderful, wonderful sons-in-law. And uh, you know, a lot of nachas. That also adds makes 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 my years go much better. Baruch Hashem. I uh, appreciate that. Well, but we can't wait to bring you back for your 85th and 95th, and um, in good health. Amen. Amen. All right. A happy happy birthday. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. All right, that went better than I expected. That was great. Our our, uh, dear father-in-law, Dr. Robert Brookstein, dermatologist in the five towns, and uh, a wonderful husband, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, 70th birthday, and and this show is in his honor. Binyam, are you going to stick around after our interview with Moshe Mayor Weiss? We have a few more things to talk about. The Pishtoner of. Ooh. He is the current Pishtoner Rebbe. He is the current Rebbe of Pishtin. There's no question. Yeah, that's That's absolutely true. From Hungary, yeah. He's a big, if you'd like brachas, you can make your way to, uh, we won't announce his address on the air, but you can get brachas from, he is the current Pishna Rebbe. We have a lot more to talk about on the other side of this, but for now, very excited to be able to bring on uh, Rav Moshe Meir Weiss. Rav Moshe Meir Weiss was the Rebbe for 37 years 
of the Agoda of Staten Island. Staten Island is a changing community. And uh, in the meantime, he has moved to Lakewood, where he's now the rub of the Agoda in Lakewood, continuing still teach and write and change the world. A tremendous ball of energy. It's a privilege to welcome Rav Moshe Mayor Weiss. It's a great chos to be joined by Rav Moshe Mayor Weiss, a great Rav, a great author, a great Magid Shir, and uh, somebody who I'm simply in awe of. Rav Weiss, I don't know how you get done everything that you get done. Uh, 40th year in the Rabbonus in Staten Island, obviously, uh, for most of the years, and now in, in Lakewood. Sixth cycle of teaching the Dafyomi through five cycles, teaching it now once a day, twice a day, including going into Brooklyn late at night, every day, day in and day out. I don't know how many Sfarim, how many books you've written by now, how many lectures, thousands you have online. You get it all done with a big smile. It's a big schus of privilege. Thank you so much for letting us go behind the bima with you. Rabbi Goldberg, it's a schus for me. Uh, and I'll say it uh, uh, without shame that I, I w- went after Rabbi Goldberg when I was in Boca, and I said to him that I would like to be on his behind the bima. I told you when we were chatting offline that I'm really a big fan of podcasts like these because there are many people around the world who need downtime and they could choose netflix they could choose amazon prime or they could say uh to their wife you know what tonight let's uh let's see rabbi goldberg had an interesting interview with rabbi wine uh, let's watch it. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's more worthwhile. And then the children see that that's what their parents do. I, I told you, Rabbi Goldberg, I was coming back from L.A. last night. I was on a late night flight and uh, I was looking around and pe- people were all watching nonsense on the screens. I think there was a Batman and and, and something else. And that that... Imagine if they had behind the beamer on the screen, you know. And what, what airline was it? We got to get on the. It was rotation. United. United. All right. You know, I'm I'm working on having my Dafyami on the screen and my Chumash Yerim on the screen. You know, it's and then person could select. Oh, let me do the Daf. What do I have to right. see Top Gun for? You know, <laughs> let, let me let me do the Daf. Amazing. There's so much to talk to you about. And, and we had the privilege, of course, who doesn't know about Rav Moshe Meir Weiss for years. We were on a flight to Eretz Yisrael and we sat next to each other. So the Rebona Shalom brought us together and we've stayed in touch since. So it's, it's really exciting to be able to have you on and to have this conversation. But let's let's go all the way back to your childhood. I, I want to talk about Rav Moshe Feinstein. I never had this chus. I'm too young. I, I never o- overlapped. I didn't have the merit to ever meet, to be in the presence of Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe was uh, in, in height, physical height, a relatively short person, but of course he was a giant. He was and continues to be a giant in, in Psak and, and his legacy. As somebody who went to his yeshiva, got smicha from Moshe, somebody who was a personal attendant, your Meshamish of Moshe for, for a decade. What what about Rav Moshe that is appreciated is important to acknowledge? And what about Rav Moshe that the world doesn't even know? What about Rav Moshe that the world doesn't even appreciate that they never saw but should know? Okay, so when when you lived in the era of Rav Moshe, the one thing that you have to know is is that the, there was a man that everybody listened to. <laughs> it was it was you know it's like they say there was 
no Erev in Borough when he was alive because he said that there shouldn't be an Erev, so then there was no Erev. You know, it's, it's, right. whatever he said, he he was, the you know, there's certain people, I once wrote an article, who's the man of the millennia. And I chose with, of course, humility, that, that I chose Rashi. Right. You know, there is hardly a Chumash made without Rashi. There's hardly anything without and rashi was accepted by everyone in the world because there isn't a harsh word in rashi anywhere and there's such humility in rashi mm. uh, i don't know you know you know and that was ramesha ramesha was the warmest man you've ever met mm. when he shook your hand he didn't shake your hand he hugged it with both his hands. He took your hand and he hugged it. And that, that he, he oozed warmth. I always tell people, my words are like fire. It's not just that Torah illuminates our life, but fire is warm. He was the warmest of men. And, and that, that, and, and his psokim, his halachic decisions, were laced with warmth you know you know i'll tell you an interesting thing that like you said many people might not know what catapulted ramosha onto the world stage in he came to america in 1937 and uh he came from a small town in russia luban he had they 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 chased him out of there they they made his life impossible he told me first they they uh they took away his house. So this is the NKVD, the predecessors of the KGB. They took away his house. So then he moved into the Oyrich room in his shul, the guest room in his shul with his family. Reb Ruven wasn't, uh, I don't think, alive then. He might have been. Reb David, uh, Rebetzin Shifra, that's Rabbi Tendler's wife, uh, Rebetzin Fay, who was uh, Rav Shiskal's wife, and they moved into a tiny little house and into the Eurich's room in the shul. Then they confiscated his shul. So then they, what they did was, is they had uh, wealthy people. They used to take like a tithe of uh, part of the house for soldiers. So they gave him the tithe of a Jew's house to live in. And he said it became impossible. So he, he went to to leave and they you had to have a Jew pass to to, to no you had to have a visa he didn't have a visa you had to go to Moscow to have a visa but you couldn't go to Moscow without a Jew pass it was impossible to get to get a Jew pass so they smuggled him into Moscow and he told me this I heard this from him that when he was in Moscow he stayed by some goyim that were nice and he had, there were people that were trying to get him the visa. And he said during the day, he went to the base of Medrash in Moscow. He says, what's the difference? One Jew, another Jew. And he said one night he got a rangaton. He got very occupied in learning. And when he picked up his head, he saw that it was very late. So he said, it's not fair to risk waking up the nice Goyim. So he stayed in the shul that night and learned the whole night. And he told me, just that night, the uh, NKVD came around checking the houses. He would have been in Siberia. Nobody would have ever heard of him again. Wow. 
Yeah, wow. and just, he told me this over over a tea. Wow. <laughs> over a tea. So he came to America in 37, and they took him as as uh, Rashiva in MTJ, the the head of MTJ at that time told the boys, he said, you know, you're doing good boys. And every time you learn more, uh, I try to get you somebody that knows more. He said, I'm getting older. So I'm getting you somebody now who no matter what you learn, he'll always be good for you. And Ramesha was going to be the Rashiva of MTJ and, and learn. Rabdavid, I heard this from Rabdavid. Rabdavid Zechatzadik Lebrach, his son. Rabdavid said that in 46, 47, the, the women started coming from overseas and said, what do we do? We, we don't know what happened to our husbands. We have no clue. You know, what do we do? And nobody wanted to touch it. Because, of course, you know, if then the husband comes back and she remarries the children, and it's a whole mess. Right, right. So Rav said, look, if nobody's going to do it, I have to do it. And Rav David said that catapulted him onto the word stage. I don't know the exact number. I, I This I never heard, so I can't vouch for it. But I heard a number that he permitted like 200 women. I don't know if that's true. That's a number that they throw around. But I do know that no husband ever came back when he permitted a woman to remarry. Mm. Now, it's amazing about Ramosha. Obviously, a super genius, a super mind, super analytic, a super balmachadish. His piske halacha, his halachic positions, uh, in many cases, are are very bold, courageous. They're they're very novel, um, and and I don't know when I when I think of Igris Moshe or Dibris Moshe, which I think he was even more proud of than Igris Moshe. That is that is certainly correct. So when I when I think about it, I th- I'll never measure up. I can't compare. Why maybe even try? But but when you think about the warmth and the midos that you're describing, who Rav Moshe was aside from his mind, that is something every one of us can can strive to be and be that's more exact, like. That's what, exactly why I said it. You know, they say that, they asked Rav Shach Bameharach the Yamin, with what merit did you live long? And Rav Shach said, I always bench from a bench. Right. <laughs> Rav Shach learned every second, but he said, bench from a bench, that you could do. So they asked Rav Moshe also the question, Bameharach the Yamin. Now I can testify, I was Meshamashim for 10 years, he was never not learning. I mean, I could tell you a story that I once, he, he, he had at what one point what the in Yiddish they call roiza, which is cellulitis, or they used to call it phlebitis. He had phlebitis and he was in bed. So um, I was in the bungalow and he got up from a nap. And during the day, he didn't always keep Negevasser by the bed. In the night he did, but in the day. So he had a Tnach, a Koran Tnach, without Rashi, which he actually inherited from his son-in-law of Shizgal. And the, the world always saw pictures of him learning Mishnayis because that's what he learned when he took off his twill and everything. But throughout the day, when he had spare seconds, he reviewed Tnach straight, without Rashi, just reviewed the whole Tnach. Straight. So anyway, I saw him get up. He had the Tanakh by his bedstand. He picked up the Tanakh. He's turning the pages. He's walking to the sink. 
He puts the Tanakh down by the sink, opens the water, and is still turning the pages. And he washes his hands, and immediately afterwards, he was already immersed in the Tanakh. That's just an idea of who Rav Moshe was in learning. But yet, they asked him, yamim, and we know, we know, Taira is, you know, he said, My whole life, I never caused another person pain. Mm. That's what he said. And uh, it's, that's what we could learn from him. Wow. We could learn from him. There was a, there was in the yeshiva a, a janitor. His name was John. There were many janitors, but the one year, this is the, the janitor that sticks out in my mind. He was a drunk. He was a, a low, a low class guy, but he was the janitor of this yeshiva. And Ramosha, on his way out, would stop if he saw him, and he would say, "Thank you, John," in English. "Thank you, John, for cleaning the yeshiva." That was Ramosha. On, on Shavuos, we had a Hungarian cook, a wonderful person. His neshama should have an aliyah. Mr. Yeager, and he was a real Hungarian, like I am. I mean, I was born here, but my mother was born in Pest. And uh, and he made, are you familiar with the Hungarian polenchinta? A little bit. My wife is Hungarian. Ah, so, so he made 800 handmade polenchinta for Shavuos. And it was a yearly event that even when Rav Moshe was in his 80s, and he already had stopped eating with the bachrim in the gym downstairs. He had a suite upstairs on the floor of the base of Medrash. He would come down two flights, go in the kitchen to thank Mr. Yeager for making the blintzes. And it was already an event. The, the, the bachrim knew that he was going to do that. Hmm. And he told he would tell him, he made kemach in Torah, what he's doing for the bachrim, 800 blintzes handmade. What a big thing it was. That was remotion. And that we can imitate. That everyone, you don't have to have a high IQ or a great memory, right? You, you could, anybody can imitate that part of who he was. So you're, you're going into your 40th year of Rabbanus, and that that in itself is extraordinary. Um, I recently realized that I started as the assistant rav here in Boca in 2002. I was in the kolal in the community before, but I was officially part of the shul. My official Rabbanus began in 2002, so I'm now in my 20th year, half that time, and and I feel like it's. Uh, it's forever. So 40 years is really remarkable, really, really extraordinary. What changes have you seen in the Rabbanas from when you first started till now? How have you seen the, the, the balance shift in terms of, on the one hand, a Rav has to carry himself as a Rav. A Rav has to try to be uh, model behavior and a lifestyle that others can aspire to. And I know that you, I, I, I watch and I see your shirim. I don't think I've ever seen you give a shir where you weren't wearing your, your hat. And, and your frock, but even with your hat, even when you sit down and you're giving a shear to not take off the hat, clearly you're trying to present uh, the, the godless of, of, of Rabbanus and Kavad HaTorah, Chashivas HaTorah, honor, respect for Torah on the one hand. On the other, we're living in a time and in a world where there needs to be a friendship and a closeness and a, a casualness and an access. And I know that you can quote and reference modern things that are happening that make you accessible and people can feel connected. And I know, and we'll, we'll talk about, you're very active, your shiurim stream on, on Facebook and using technology and social media. So how has that particular area of Rabbanus changed in these 40 years from 
how close, how friendly, how casual, how much does one have to stay as a rav and, and be apart or different? Um, what is the thinking and always wearing the lavush of Rabbanus, never not uh, wearing it or presenting that way? How have things changed in these 40 years? Well, okay, so f- first, uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a ball player. I, uh, I play uh, tennis, I play paddleball, and recently I play pickleball. And I play in the park, and uh, I play in hot weather. I hope maybe tonight at 7 o'clock I'll play a game of pickleball before my two-shirim. And I always wear, I don't wear my kapotin hat, but I always wear long pants and a shirt, sometimes a tie even. And people say to me, you know, it's it's hot here. It's it's 90, you know. And I said, listen, I'm a rabbi. on the court and off the court, you know, and I, 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 ha- I believe it's my responsibility to radiate that I'm what they call a man of God. Uh, I was, I'm a pretty good player, and there was a, a high level game uh, played in a colony up in the mountains in Harris, and they wanted me to come and play. It was in a colony that was Jewish but not religious. And uh, I would play paddleball there. And one day, a clearly non-religious woman came over to me. Are you the rabbi? And the way she said it, I was almost certain that she was going to say, I have no right to be here. And I said, you know, a little, yes. She said, I have to thank you. Why? We live right behind the paddleball court. And we were seriously considering selling our unit because of all the obscenities that were heard on the court. Since you came, they stopped completely. So we owe you a debt of gratitude. Now, but what do I tell? I'm not their mashkia. So I tell them, look, if you want me to play, you can't talk this way because it might rub off on me and I can't afford to talk that way. So they stopped talking that way, you know, so... Wherever you are, you know, when I play, and I like to win. And that's uh, something about my, I'm competitive. I like to win. So it's a big thing that, oh, the rabbi makes an honest call. And I'm dressed this way. So I, I don't want to steer the conversation, but can I tell you a, a, a story? Please. Absolutely. Uh, are you familiar with a big philanthropist who was um, who was also a personality? He used to be very much on you know you know AM on the JM. Was, sure. Was, yeah. Sure. So he used to come. His name was Lobo Chaim Silber. The Lobos. Was, that was the the team up in the mountains. Right? Yes. 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 So he, he was a Talmud of mine. So unfortunately, he got sick with the same machla as my first rabbit in Allah Shalom. And uh, he was go for chemotherapy, and uh, I actually said said this on a hesped for him. Uh, he he usually wore a big Lobo cap that said Lobo, which was the name of his team, you know, up in in the Catskills. But when he went to chemo, he wore a black yarmulke, and they asked him why, and he said, "Look." You know, the reality is now is he's in chemo and he realized 
that his challenge now, people that take Kim Aloyaleinu, uh, should never be for us. Uh, they are grumpy and they're irritable. And he made it a, a, a like a passion to be nice to the nurses, to the to the chemo nurses, to the staff, to the doctors, to the other patients. And he said, I wanted to wear big black yarmulke. Everybody should know that I'm a Jew, that it should be an opportunity of Kiddush Hashem. So the same way, I, I'm around with my kapote and my hat, and oh, there's a Jewish rabbi. It's an opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem. Now, your other question, which is a very profound question, and that is how do we straddle the, the tightrope of being a rabbi and yet a friend? So the first thing is, is that we can't be a buddy because, you know, there is even a sheet, it's a machloikis, but there's even a sheet that you're not yoitzi uh, shalachmonis when you give your rub shalachmonis because it says, it says, mishlachmonis ish l'reyehu, and a rub is not reyehu. We don't, we don't paskin like that. Don't worry. You could give your rub a nice shalachmonis. But the idea is exactly what Rabbi Goldberg is pointing to. There has to be a line between if we get too friendly, then if I have to tell somebody, that's not the way you're supposed to treat your wife, right? So then it's hard for me to do that. So there has to be a little bit of a, um, a tightrope to walk. Uh, and, and I don't think that that's changed over the years. What has changed over the years, I believe, is first of all, I think that today it's we've we've moved into a lot of specialties. You can't expect your rub to know everything. When I started the Rabbanas, I didn't even know what anorexia was. I never heard of it. Bulimia. Uh, even today, all of a sudden, we have an entire world of gender problems. We have an entire world of eating disorders. We have an entire world of off the derech. And I, I, I don't know if uh, were you a rubber ready when the first Jewish observers came out about no. the problem of off the derech. Right, that was before my time. I read them before your time. Before, yes, before okay. I but I remember when that broke. Until that broke, who heard of off the derech? You right. know. So, and today, you can't expect every rav to specialize in everything. It's just impossible. Uh, you, you know, we have we've moved into uh, in the old in olden days there was something called the eshko. You know, somebody that ish shakolboy. He was a kolboy. He was the shaykhit. He was the moyel. He was. That's over. That's right. over. It's impossible for everyone to specialize in everything. There are there 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 are many marriages that are floundering because of intimacy issues. But not every rav knows how to deal with that. There are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of rabbanim that don't know how to deal with it. So a rav, especially if they're starting out now, should know that, you know, you have to know how to delegate. You have to know at least to recognize a problem. I, I tell people, 
that if a Rav doesn't know that sometimes when interviewing a case of Shalom Bayis, you have to speak to the couple separately because there are times that the wife is afraid to say something in front of the husband. If you, if you don't even know that basic fact, then Shalom Bayis is not your specialty. Right. Right. So, so uh, let me pivot a little bit, which is how do Rabbanim stay humble? Right. So if the Rav is even dressing as a Rav on a tennis court. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking about, about you. Rav Weiss, everybody knows, is, is a very humble person and practices what he preaches as a source of inspiration. But is there a, is there a fear that if Rabbanim feel that I'm more elevated, I'm a man of God, I dress that part, I speak that part, I, I deserve or receive that kavod, that that gets to the head of Rabbanim. We, we know Rabbanim who become balai gaiva, they become arrogant and scandals. Scandals occur because they start to feel they're above the law, above the rules. And there are tra tragic scandals that then filter down and talk about pushing people off the derech when, when somebody is exposed to whether in school or shul life, communal life, rabbanim, religious personalities, who they feel are arrogant or hypocritical. It's an enormous turnoff. So how does within the rabbanus, and I guess I'm just letting everyone listen in now as I as I uh, get personal lessons, how within the rabbanus do rabbanim who are dressing the part, acting the part, being treated with that covered, maybe being even addressed in third person. How do Rabbanim stay humble and make sure that doesn't get to their head? Yeah, so first of all, th this challenge is a challenge, not just in the Rabbanus. You know, there's a famous saying, remove the Satan from before us and from after us. So the simple explanation of what we say in Marv is remove the Satan from in front of us that says, uh, don't do it. Don't. Don't get up for davening. And the sudden that's in back of us that's pushing us, look at that, look at that. It's okay, you only live once, you know. But another pshat in Vahasa Sutton of Fanain is remove the sudden before we do the mitzvah, and then the sudden after we do the mitzvah, when we say, ah, I learned off Yemi every night. <laughs> so that's a challenge for everybody. But, right. you know, they used to say in my day that if you think you're big, just go to the shelf and open a stay chemet and just look at one page, what he has on one page, and you'll see that you're very small. So somebody like me, you know, it's very easy for me to stay small. You know, you know, I don't know. Do you, are you are you familiar with Rabbi Yisrael Reisman? Sure. Okay, so he's he's a contemporary of mine. We actually one summer our parents spent in a Kukalain in uh, Farakaway, they shared a bungalow with the same kitchen and we played in the same playpen. But uh, so when I wrote my my fifth say for power benching, which is all about benching, so he wrote a Haskama for it. I asked him for Haskama. So he writes in the Haskama that he's not, uh, it, it's not his custom to write about somebody that's bigger than him. So I put in a footnote. My publisher didn't really want to publish it. I insisted. I put in a footnote. I don't know if you ever saw a footnote on Azkama, but I put in a footnote that he wrote a safer on ribbis. And whenever I learn Hazor Ben Ezel Neshech, I get a headache. So, you know, you know, so, you know, you have to. So when rabbis are around people that are so much greater than them, that keeps us humble. You know, you, you said, you know, my cousin, Ravasha Weiss. Ravasha Weiss can come into your, your base of Madrish 
and ask, okay, what are you learning? And on the spot, say an eun share on whatever you're learning. So, okay, that keeps us humble. Rabbi Asher Weiss has a brother, an older brother, by the name of Rabbi Beryl Weiss. Uh, he's not known because he's not a big speaker, but Rabbi Beryl is the son-in-law of the Shef Achayim, of the Friedeke Kozumigarebbe. He married the Kozumigarebbe's daughter, the one who lost 11 children right. and a wife in the Holocaust. So Kozumigarebbe had a, uh, when, he, when he remarried and he had daughters, he didn't mar- marry Rebbe's children. He, he had a uh, tnai that you want to marry my daughter. The first thing is you have to know Shas Palpeh. And he, he fahered. I was, I was, you know, involved. I was little, little then, but he he fahered my cousin Rebero on Shas Palpeh. So when you see that, it's very easy to stay humble. <laughs> and also, you know, we we meet people like you, who doesn't stop. I mean, whether it's behind the beamer, whether it's make Arab Shabbos, Friday Arab Shabbos, whether it's 10 minutes with Masils Yasharim. I mean, and I was in your shul. It's not like you're twiddling your thumbs and just sitting in your study. You're, you have a thriving shul. And also you're the man to go to if there's a problem in Boca. So you're very busy. So people like you keep me humble also. That's well, the opposite. It's the opposite. Six Yomi cycles. So Rav Weiss, talk to us about what that's like teaching six Yomi cycles. Um, does it still take enormous preparation? By now, is it less preparation? Is there a rhythm to which Mesechta, which Seder you like the most and you're heading into? Is it a relief for you? This is the first cycle that you're only giving once a day, not twice a day? Talk to us about the daf. Okay, so first of all, um, I just finished Yavamas and with a sigh of relief. Uh, Yavamas is very hard to teach. It's hard to teach, first of all, because, uh, you know, I'm sitting and I'm preparing and I went it over, but I have to give it to people that are tired from work. It's in the night and I have to make it not only easy, but exciting to keep people awake. Um, I I, uh, had the the pleasure of knowing Rav Shimon Schwab. And uh, this I share with you because, uh, uh, you know, it, it segues into what you spoke about, humility. I once, by a good convention, had to meet with him about something. So I ate a breakfast with him. And at that time, I was giving my rather famous At that time, I had over 250 people a night by the Dafyami. That was when, in Borough Park, it was an English-speaking Eilam, and there weren't uh, 30 Dafyamis. You know, I was like, I and Rabbi Yadkel Horowitz, the Telzer of, uh, were the only pretty, and Rav Label Katz, Allah Basham, were the only people giving uh, Dafyami in English. And I cornered the market in the night, and I had a huge Eilam. So Rav Schwab's first question to me as we sat down is, how does a Dafyami Magadshir like you give ter- learn Tarulishma? So what he was really asking is, you know, you're speaking to 250 people, you're setting up shot and everybody's going, ah, how, does, how do you learn Tarulishma? So I didn't know what to say. So he said to me, you can't. But 
He says, you're teaching hundreds of people who are tired, their eyes are closing, they're fighting the clock, and they're learning Torah Lishma, and you're causing it. That's your Torah Lishma. That's what Rav Shmab, Zech Tzadik Lebrach, told me. I'm, I'm a champion of the deaf. I think that if anybody really wants to, in their lifetime, finish us, this is probably the only way to do it. Uh, in other words, if it says, Fortune is somebody comes to the next world with the Talmud in his hand, to be able to learn Shas and get through Krisus and, and, and Nazir and Mesechtas Shvuas. Mesechtas, you wouldn't learn. You wouldn't say, let's sit down and learn Nazir. You know, <laughs> I'm in the mood to learn Krisus, you know, or Arochin. Or, I'm, I'm in the mood now, you know, to learn Trefus. The only, I had a Talmud, Baruch Hashem, he should live and be well. His name is Dr. Eli Puro. He's a rather well-known gastroenterologist in in the uh, New York area. And uh, he made up that he's going to start with me, the daf. And he arranged he, all his office hours, all his hospital rounds, all he was on the ethics committee in Staten Island University Hospital, all the meetings around the daf. And he told me something that I, I I printed in the magazine for the last year, Mashas, and, and, and he told me, Rabbi Weiss, I made up my mind. How many good seven and a half years do I have left? That's what he said. And he finished us. He finished us. Uh, I, I, I believe that people have to ask themselves that question. How many good seven and a half years do I have left? You don't have to start with brachas. To the contrary, it's great if you end with the easy stuff. You know, <laughs> you can start any time. We just started silver's shas cotton. You know, it's it's so Baruch Hashem. I I my my main audience now. I mean, I have a Zoom audience that people could join my share. They want to come on on New York time tonight. They could join me at ten to nine, eight fifty New York time. You go to zoom.com. And you put in the meeting ID, which is my cell phone, 718-916-3100. 718-916-3100. You can join our Zoom community. But also, my DAF is on TorahAnytime.com. My DAF is on Kalaloshin. My DAF is on Facebook. Uh, so, you know, I try to reach the people. But I I know I'm hogging the microphone over here. Which no, I no, no, I'm listening. I don't really want to do. But I, I also have a very strong opinion. You know, Ramea Shapiro, and some say the Chartke Vereba, they, they introduced a very big novelty. And the novelty was, is that not many years ago, uh, Shas was not an ambition of the average person. You know, there was the Ayin Yaakov Shul, where they just learned Ayin Yaakov, they just learned homiletics, they just learned the Gadita. And then there was the Tilim Zagar Shul, where they said Tilim. And then there was the Cheves Mish- Mishnayis, where they just learned, it. not just, they learned Mishnayis. And then there were those that learned the Yeshiva Shemesefters, the eight ten Yeshiva Shemesefters. You know, when the Chavetz Chaim, he had to, Mamish, you know, say, listen, we have to have Kehanim, 
if the base of English is built from Hervia who will know Kachim. So he he started to kill Kachim and Ratan, otherwise, who learned Kachim? You know, uh, yeah, and then came along Rameh Shapiro and he said, No, Shas is for every Jew. I want to make a suggestion where he got this from. You know, in the Haggadah, after we drank already the four cups and we're all mellow, we sing a song. Uh, who knows one? Who knows two? And in it we say, who knows nine? Tisha who knows nine? Tisha I know nine. There's nine months of pregnancy. So some asks, eh? two are the Luchas, three, three is the Tatas, four is the Mamas, five is the Chumash, six is the Mishnah, seven is the Shabbos, eight is the Mila, and nine is nine months of nausea. That's and it's not uniquely Jewish, not like the other stuff. So he says it's referring to the Gemara Nida that during the nine months of pregnancy, a child is taught kalaterikula. And then a malach comes, strikes above the lip, and we forget it. But we're taught it for a reason. We're taught it because each of us has it in our potential. Oh, says Ramea Shapiro, you did it already. Everybody could do it. And I can tell you, Rabbi Goldberg, I had I have a yid. You should live and be well. He's, he's very senior now. His name is Dr. Leslie Abrams. He's a dentist. Until 30, he he never went to yeshiva. Never went to yeshiva, not elementary school, not not high school, not base medrash. He started coming to my daf two and a half cycles ago. Came with an art scroll. He had no idea what was going on. No idea. And slowly, slowly but surely, he started picking it up. He, he kept at it. Not many people could do that, but he kept at it. And he finished shots with me two times. You know, and to me, that's, it's for every person. I had another yid. Uh, his name was uh, Jack Hertzko. Uh, and uh, he played paddleball with me. Monday Monday night, I used to do my dafyami in Burpak later. I I would uh, give the dafin the good, my good in Staten Island from eight to nine. Nine o'clock, we'd have Mariv. And then I ran over to the gym in the Young Israel and played paddleball. And after the Powerball game, I ran into the car to go give my second off. And uh, this, I said, Jack, George Yersko, this George came to play Powerball with us. And the rest of the guys would be uh, would be talking about the DAF because they were my DAF guys, Matty Eisenberg, Mark Rosenblum. They were there. So he got, he got intrigued. And he started coming to the DAF. And he learned a thousand blot with me. And then he got Leolain the pancreatic cancer and passed away. And the family bought an art school shots for my shul with a beautiful letter. Thank you for sending our father to Elamabo with a thousand blot. So so I believe that it's Dafyaimi, it's not that you have to have a Dafyaimi personality. I believe that everybody can do it. And I've seen it. I've seen it from all walks of life. Uh, it is a discipline, 
but it's like any other discipline that after a while you just get used to it and and and, and it's a hiskaibis that you have to learn every day um and it's rabbi goldberg i can tell you now i have a son I, one of my sons yakov is finishing shas with psuvis uh and he told me he grew up there was one blizzard uh when they were young where there was here uh, uh, you were probably living where, where did you live before? New Jersey. I was probably living in New Jersey growing okay, up. So, okay, so there was a big blizzard with three foot of snow. And they came with a Hummer to take me to the DAF. And my kids said, Tati is going out in this weather? And it left an indelible impression upon them. When you learn, you know, people tell me that their Mava Sedra because they remember their father being said the Friday night and they fell asleep with their father being said. And so they remember, they 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 said you see your father going to the daf every night. You know, I I I gave Daf Yomi on the day at the Chasana of all my children's weddings. They had to work around the they had to work around the uh, pictures around the daf, <laughs> so they, which they did. And they came in and they took pictures. Uh, but I gave daf yomi bayol. I gave the morning I got married the first time. I gave a daf yomi in the morning that I got married. And uh, uh, this time I gave the daf. Uh, I don't remember how I did it this time. I don't know why I don't remember. But I didn't miss the daf. We'll have to we'll have to come back to this in the in the shalom bias uh, part. <laughs> how you manage shalom bias while giving a daf at your own kids' weddings? Uh, but you mentioned hobbies: you tennis, uh, paddleball, pickleball. I understand you're also a ranked chess play, chess player. That you uh, can do play. you know? Do you know that from people in the shul? I know that. I know that because I do my research. So I know that the rav can play up to eight games simultaneously. Can manage so another mind to play. Let me tell. Let me rank, tell. He's rated nationally as a chess player. I'm not so right. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what the story is. I'm. I'm. I was recently a scholar residence in uh, Century Village in Deerfield. So uh, their last minion in the morning is at eight. So I'm a night owl. So I checked. Is there anything later? So I found out that by by Rabbi Goldberg, there's a nine o'clock minion. So I came to your minion several times when I was there. And it, I remember it was a Sunday morning. And after davening, I put on Rabbeinu Tamsville. I have a kriya sitem that I, I learned. So I'm learning there. And all of a sudden, I hear a banging behind me. And I said, oh, wait a second. That, that sound, there's only one sound like that. That's a chess clock. And I turn behind me, and they're getting ready for a chess tournament in your shul. Right. And um, so I get up, and I, I have to say that I haven't played across the board with a person for decades. And I said to somebody, would you like to play a quick speed game? He said, yes. So I played a game, and I won. So. Another guy said, I got 
to play him. So I I was lucky enough to win the second game too. So then they said, stay for this tournament, stay for the tournament. But I, I had it, I was on vacation. And of course, if you if you want your wife to go with you on speaking tours, and I wouldn't go without because I don't travel without my wife. So you have to make sure you leave time for your wife. So I had a breakfast date, so I couldn't stay. But I have to tell you, I was very tempted to stay. Uh, I'm. So a, where did you learn? Where did you learn to play chess? How did you get so good? And what's what's your current ranking? Um, I don't. I haven't played in a tournament now for thirty years, so I don't have any any current ranking. And my ranking wasn't so high. My my ranking uh, forty years ago was only sixteen fifty one, which is nothing, but. I, I don't know what my ranking would be today, but but uh, uh, the the fact is is that when I was a little boy, my uncle Mutti Miller taught me how to play chess, and uh, I like chess. I I uh, although my Rebbe, who was from Russia, Russia was chess was a very big thing in Russia. The legend is is that Ramosha stopped playing at eight. He played until he was eight, and then he stopped playing at uh -huh. eight. You know, but Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky still picked up games in Camp or Shraga into his 90s. Uh, but uh, if it would be up to me, I would teach uh, chess in yeshivas. Um, I know that's a very controversial statement. Uh, but, you know, people say, okay, we can understand ball, it's it's but chess, little Tyra. So while it's true, if a boy is going to start perusing the chess books, that I'm not, <laughs> instead of perusing the chess books, uh, learn Navi Chavakuk, you know, instead of perusing the chess book, per peruse a Shalash you know, Minchas Yitzchak or Igris Maisha. But, but, the lessons of chess are invaluable. Are you a, a chess player at all? I know how to play, but I have oh, So you know how to play. So I just, the, the, the idea that when you play chess, if you know at all how to play, you can't just think about your plan. You have to get into the other person's mind and think about what they're thinking. That discipline is invaluable for relationships. You know, I tell a husband a lot of times, you have your view of Shabbos. Did you ever think what your wife's Shabbos looks like? You're out, you go to shul, she's stuck home, and then you enjoy a good meal, she's serving, she's cleaning, you take a Shabbos sleep and she's up watching the kids. And if you put together the picture of your wife's Shabbos, it's a lot different than your Shabbos. And chess teaches that. Chess teaches a person how to look ahead. We know You know, so what makes a good chess player is I can look almost instantaneously four moves ahead. You know, so it, it teaches a person to be Roa to consider everything. And there's a lot of there's a lot of disciplines that are very vital in chess.
It's a Jewish game, right? Rebbe's on Nittelnacht would play chess. Yes. One of the activities yeah. they Ramesh would play. Ramesh didn't hold of, it, of Nittelnacht, but, uh, but yeah, Rebbe's on Nittelnacht play chess. I mean, this famous Lubavitcher Rebbe playing with his schwer and, 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 and uh, but uh, uh, look, I, I have to say, I'm not such a masmid that I'm going to hold off if I, I, I don't get a chance to play it. In my, in my youth, chess was a very big thing. In the bungalow colonies, there were chess games going on. Uh, under the umbrella tables all the time. Uh, now, today, you don't see chess. People don't have the patience for it. People don't. Uh, I find speed chess thrilling. I, I enjoy it immensely, but I never have a chance to do it. Uh, my, my famous story with chess that probably makes me a little famous with chess is that when I was a very little boy, I went to the Pine View Hotel. All of us show now it's a, a jail. But the Pineview Hotel had a simul with the famous Samuel Ruszewski. Samuel Ruszewski was then ranked 10th in the world. And he might have had a chance. He beat Fisher once. He might have had a chance to be world champion, but he wouldn't play on shots. And he did a 50-player simul. He played 50 players at the same time. And uh, I, I joined. I was a little kid. And he probably didn't notice me at all, but I was the last person in. He 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 won everybody else. He's playing me at the end, and uh, so at the end he didn't even finish on time. But he told the organizers he's going to do this, 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 and win, which was for sure true. And uh, he he was declared a winner of everybody. Now fast forward uh, from that story eleven years. Uh, I was 19, and a very old Samuel Ruszewski was together with me in a Pesach program uh, by Mel Schick and Katz, uh, a Pesach program. I was a scout resident. He came to my shiurim, and he did a simul on Cholomite. And he comes over to me sweetly, and he says, Rabbi Weiss, are you going to play? So I said, okay, yes. So he says to me with a twinkle, you're going to lose first. And this wasn't like the Pine View. The Pine View was well advertised. Here was a bunch of people with old broken sets. And I don't think there was even one person there that really knew how to play. And I played a very conservative opening, which it should have been very hard for him to win me fast. And there's little kids there he didn't let anybody lose until he creamed me. Don't forget, <laughs> it was really something, you know. He remembered. He remembered those years later. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Here I was, a little kid. I remember, but it, that he remembered. Amazing. So we, we don't have much time left. We're so grateful for the Rav's time. I want to segue to the last topic. We could speak for hours and hours, and Amir Tashem, we will. But really, it's a perfect segue from the chess and the anticipation and relationships. Shalom Bias, you've spoken about, you've written about. Um, somewhat of an expertise in, and uh, even in, in your own personal life, and you share this, and I say this only with your permission, having lost your first Rebetzin, remarrying, and uh, Baruch Hashem, a thriving uh, second marriage. I, I say that because I sat next to you and your wife on a plane for 12 hours to Eretz So not that I was watching and listening, but you, you could tell, you could tell about a healthy marriage on, on a long, long plane ride through the night. So uh, and I know also that all of your years in Staten Island, uh, almost four decades 
such a success in, in being able to heal marriages and, and shalom bias. If you have to close us out with some lessons, for those who are watching and listening, for those who are not yet married need to know what's most important. Those who have good marriages want to make them great. And those who have struggling marriages, what are the top most important tips for shalom bias? Okay, so first of all, uh, we're talking like from Rav to Rav. A Rav must radiate shalom bias. In other words, anything that we do, uh, it's not our relationship with our spouse is very important. The Kehillah is watching and they're learning, you know. So uh, I, I take every opportunity to demonstrate. I, I, I will not be loath to say, I can't do this because I am doing something with my wife. I, let, let them hear it. No matter how busy you are, uh, it should be that way. And that's number one. Number two is that the reason why I'm so passionate about Sean they asked the great Reb Chaim Vital, who was the star Talmud of the Rizal, how can you tell the character of a person? And you would think the, uh, the Rizal, uh, by reading his palm, right. by looking at his forehead, by looking at his silver, no, no, no. He said, see how he treats his wife. See how she treats her husband. That's the kaleidoscope of all our midas. Our, our, our tolerance, our caring, our temperament, everything. Our, our way we handle our money, uh, our, our softness of tone. So first of all, we should know that the difference between a humdrum marriage and a special magical marriage has a lot to do with the mouth. When we say kol chosen v'kol kala, kol chosen v'kol kala is a tenderness. I tell people, you go under the chuppah, you're making a statement that from now on, my nicest speech is going to be to you. And that really makes a difference. You know, by people, it's a lot of times the opposite. They pick up the phone in the office, hello. Oh, it's you? I told you not to call now. I'm busy. That's the opposite of what we need to do. Um, uh, recently, I was in Masada Kedushin in Rockling, New Jersey for a couple. And I told them, I went into their rooms beforehand uh, because I didn't speak under the chuppah. They, they, they didn't have that. Uh, they needed room for the, the symphony. But uh, the, uh, the, so I went in by each of them and I told them that from now on, you're making a commitment to make the other the most important person in the world. And I tell people, and this you could put on your refrigerators, on your desks, the best way to get something is to give it. You want affection, be affectionate. You want time? Well, when your spouse needs you, clear the slate for them. You know, in the, in the I don't know, Rabbi Gobek, did you ever read under a chuppah Sephardic suva? All Rashi Tevos. Yes, I've been yeah, handed one. <laughs> I tell people, if you have never read it and they ask you, tell them you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but, <laughs> Good advice. But anyway, the in the Svarvik Suva, it's written, Anna Asaber. I will smile. I would love to put it in an Ark Suva. Because if you want smiles, smile. True story. I had somebody in my uh, shul who came to me one day very upset. Good guy, very upset. 
said, I'll make up a name. Rabbi Yankel, why are you upset? Ugh, I, I come into the, into the house and my wife is laughing on the phone. So I said, so? She never laughs with me. It really bothers me. Never laughs. So I said, Yankel, do you know how to laugh? Forget about that. Do you know how to giggle? I've never heard you giggle. If you're not going to laugh, your wife is not going to laugh. Her friends are laughing, so she laughs. You want something, you have to give it. That's the that's the recipe in a nutshell. You know, you 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 want patience. You got to be patient. You you want somebody to be there for you. None of this garbage. Uh, do I have to go with my wife to the doctor for the scan? What do you mean? Your wife is doing something which might change your whole life and you want to be a no-show? And then you want her to be there for you? That's, so our spouse is a mirror. That we hold our, the yeah. spouse is a mirror of who we are. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. Uh, my, I always tell people, view it as a mirror. Yeah, you, you can't say, ugh, that's what I look like. What a stupid mirror. <laughs> right. The mirror doesn't lie. No. And the spouse doesn't lie. Fantastic advice. Really phenomenal advice. I want to thank you for your time. There's so much more. We'll have to continue this conversation online and offline. Thank you for all that you're doing. Continue to share Hashem's Torah in such an inspiring way and continue to win on and off the court. I share <laughs> that I share that competitiveness. I like that drive. I think there's nothing. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. That, they that's say, they say over from Rabbi Weinberg. Uh, right? Rabbi Wein, was it Rabbi Weinberg or Rabbi Weinberger, the Rashiva of Ner Yisrael? Not Rav Weinberg, Rav Yaakov Weinberg. Rav Weinberg, the one he came right after a Ruderman, right? Right, right. So they say over this is a, I and again I didn't hear it directly from him, but this is what they say that he was once walking and he saw the Bachrim playing baseball, and the Rebbe told him, "Look how nice they're not, they're not fighting, they're they're getting along." He said, "From from such playing, you don't become a gobble. I don't see the the right. the brand, the brand, the competitiveness. So you know, competitiveness is is a good thing. It's good. You, it probably, to be shouldn't, you probably shouldn't be too competitive when you play with your wife. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, it's a good thing. Thank you for your time. We really, really appreciate it. We look forward to continuing the conversation. Rabbi Goldberg, you should keep up the good work. Binyam and Michelle, we are back. Fantastic conversation with the great, the one and only of Moshe Mayer. Weiss, thoughts, impressions, takeaways? I think the first thing is, I always have to remind myself that just because they have a long beard and look a certain way, like a lot of people that are, even especially rabbis, are more tuned in than we think. They know what's going on. They know what's going on in the world. They know what people are experiencing. And it's so refreshing Anytime we see, again, when you have a guest like that, uh, to see how tuned in he is and how much he just gets it. You knew that chess master he was referring to? Samuel Roshevsky, uh, I remember he, I don't know if he lived in Muncie or I think he did because I, I, I was 10 years old and I remember hearing about him. He was one of the, it's hard to imagine, you know, young people like us, but back in the day, people actually cared about chess. I remember like, when the Bobby Fisher, uh, there's a movie about, uh, not was about Bobby Fisher, it was about like chess and it's called Searching for Bobby Fisher. And 
people like actually cared a lot about chess. Like the way we watch sports, like people watch chess and like took it. It's like the front page of the New York Times, like Bobby Fischer playing. Was, anyway, so Sam Roshevsky was like a big deal. And I just I, I just knew there was this chess master that was around once and he actually passed away uh, at an old age um, in shul, died on a Motzei Shabbos in, uh, in Muncie. So that name did ring a bell. But it's funny to see. So you see like the gleam in his eye when he talks about chess. Yes, he got excited. And actually, I was going to say that was my takeaway from the, the conversation. You know, Rav Moshe Meir Weiss, if you just read his many books or his thousands of lectures or six cycles of Dafyomi, certainly if you see his appearance, right? I have a little beard envy. I love that beard. But <laughs> if you look at his appearance, his very uh, looks like a Rav, carries himself as a Rav, you have a certain impression. But then he's referencing Top Gun and Netflix. Then he's right. talking about how viciously competitive he is on the court. It happens to be, I know that when he was in Staten Island, he would play tennis where the U.S. Open is played because that was the level of competition he was looking for with his suit pants. I mean, you couldn't look more yeshivish. His suit pants and sneakers and white button-down shirt. So on the one hand, you know, he's this quintessential rov, this paradigm, this, this impression. That's how he presents. On the other hand, he has this really contagious smile and laugh and giddiness and joy for life. And I found that fascinating, almost dichotomy, yeah. really enigma about him that on the one hand, every time I've seen him give a shear, he, he streams all of a shear on Facebook. He's wearing his hat and his, his frock, his bekasha, every shear he gives. His hat is on. First thing, I can't wait to take my hat off after davening. His hat is on every <laughs> shear. On the one hand, that chashiva satora, that impression. On the other, he's not apologetic. We didn't get into this in the conversation. It's not apologetic to use and utilize every tool and technology and platform he can to reach the people where they are. And I thought that was really interesting about him. I like that last story too, about uh, Rolandberg's at Solid's. A, a nice uh, homage to Rabbi Brody, who's not here uh, on the show tonight, uh, get an Ari Stroll pop in there. And actually today was Rav Ruderman's yard site. Mm. Uh, but that story about Rav Weinberg and like, you know, I forgot the Yiddish, yeah, I, can't, I don't speak the Yiddish, but that Yiddish phrase about uh, from there you can't, uh, you're not going to be. It reminded me, do you remember on, on the fly-in this year, one Rabbi Feiner told us about when he was playing, when he was a staff member of Morashah, and the coach of the Morashah staff team saw him playing a one-on-one -on -one game, and he was kind of just taking it easy, and he said, you're, you're being benched next game. Why? Because if you're not taking it seriously in a one-on-one -on -one match, then you're going to bring that lack of seriousness, competitiveness right. to, to a game. And was, obviously, he brought it to a rookie's point about always being serious in our learning, and that there's, you know, that there's no such thing as like just taking it easy. Like you have to, you know, give it, give it your, give it your all every time out. It was just like yeah, those stories like that. I didn't relate to or identify with the competitiveness at all. Of course, that's not me, but <laughs> the notion, the notion that you can channel the competitiveness in a good way. And that, listen, if you're not going to be competitive and if you're not trying to be the best and win, then you're what, then maybe you're wasting your time. Maybe you're not even entitled to be doing it. with me dose with, with uh, of course, proper behavior and so on and so forth. But I thought that was uh, something which was interesting. You uh, recently traveled for, what is known in the camp world as visiting day. Yeah, I'm a younger man. This is my first ever visiting day. Uh, first ever visiting goes, day? Well, my older oh, wow. son certainly goes to a camp they don't have visiting day. Um, so, And he's been in that camp a, a number of years. So we sent our son, Yosef, who's going into fifth grade to Camp Cayley. And the Camp Cayley has a visiting day. Now, we can get into should a four-week camp even have a visiting day. We're talking about four. I, I, I think certainly a seven, eight-week camp that's, you know, that makes sense. But for four weeks, and there's no question I was going to go. I mean, it's his first summer away. Plus, 
it was an amazing experience. And Kaylee is a okay. Can we be honest? You did not yeah. go to see Yosef. Let's be honest for a moment. <laughs> it was not visiting day for Yosef. It was visiting day for Binyamin and all the people that he worships, idolizes, listens to, learns from, and could take pictures with. Okay, so it was a great hawk. Uh, Camp Kaylee. So Camp Kaylee, the director of Camp Kaylee is Rabbi Eli Brazil. And Rabbi Eli Brazil was my counselor in Camp Misora 27 years ago, in, uh, in 1995. So, uh, you know, Eli Brazil is a camp lifer. His father was the director of Misora, and he now runs Camp Kaylee. And I kind of see it, I don't know if it's intended this way, but it kind of it's like a, a, a legacy of the Misora of my youth, what I went to. So there's some staff members that were on staff in Misora when I was there, Rabunim. And, and so, like, kind of the feel of it, but like, I don't know. He just, he just took it up. He just kicks it up a notch. Everything is, it, they're so welcoming. It's such a wonderful, it's all about the inclusion and, and who the Kayleys were, or Harvey Kaylee, Zeichel was, and you have a relationship with Gloria Kaylee and what they, how much they give and what, and what they stand for, what they stood for. So mm. it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place. And I was just blown away. But yeah, I definitely went for Yosef, but I also like, they Rabbi Ross are giving Dafshir, they're Rabbi Levis giving Temin Halacha. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend the day where you, you're seeing your kid, you're, they, they, everything's just so, exciting it's fun to be there and people is, that it, is it fair to say that is it fair to say that your wife told you while you were on the way don't forget to visit yosef is that fair to say did you know that she told me that you're just guessing that she told me that both but i guess okay, because, no she yeah. she said several times like her biggest fear was that i was going to go basically like you know just walk around the camp and including your by the way and uh your family or my storch uh yafa storch is the director of programming uh, so the storches are all there, and then it's just it's just fun. It's it's a fun. I, place I went for years to Kelly, and it is a fun place, and you do see a lot of uh, people you know. Um, every guy who grew up yeshivish is wearing a colored polo shirt. Every guy from right. YU is wearing a white button-down shirt is the classic stereotype about Camp Kaylee Visiting Day and other camps like it. They do a very nice job, and it is a beautiful thing. The integration of campers, special needs, and non-special needs all together, you don't uh, see the difference or it's not its not highlighted, and it's right. really a very, very beautiful thing. I'm not a huge Visiting Day fan myself in oh. general. Um, not because I, I don't love my children or want to visit them or spend time with them, but, um, you know, again, not speaking about myself, but it has been said that visiting day um, is a lot of, can we go out of the camp? Can we do something fun? Don't leave. I'm angry. Like, it doesn't necessarily accomplish its goal um, as much as it's intended to be. But my bigger, my bigger beef with it is that, like so much else, it's not designed for anyone who doesn't live in the tri-state area. So oh, visiting yeah. day if you live in the tri-state area is in itself a form of torture, just having to drive there, get stuck in the traffic, coming back from there. But if you don't, and you live, let's say, in Florida. You have to take the 6 a.m. flight, land, after sleeping for two hours, three hours, rent a car at a huge expense, the flight, the rent-a-car, drive several hours to that camp, get there probably later than the others because of the need to have, have flown in, spend the time at the end of that exhausting day, um, a lot for the traffic back to be able to return the car, get to an airport, take that flight back, and get back so late that you have no sleep over the following night either if you're going right. to work that next morning. So again, I'm not blaming anybody, and the camps are are wonderful, but it's not necessarily designed for somebody who's not from that area. That's true for the campers as well. Right? The cost of camp doesn't include if you have to pay for flights. The cost right. of the of the luggage for camp doesn't include if you have to transport that luggage with luggage fees on, on flights. And that's true not only for for camp, for yeshiva, for school, for college. There's a lot that could, um, I think, improve in its, at least even if it doesn't change any technical things, but at least um, concierge attitude towards those who aren't local to see what they could do to make it easier or acknowledge those additional costs. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had it a little different. I was a little, um, I ha- I'm lucky enough to have parents that are Muncie, so I was able to go to Muncie for Shabbos, spend Shabbos there. And then Kaylee's just about an hour from there, so I didn't have to rent a car. I went with my parents, who uh, I was so glad they came along with me. Uh, by the way, another difference between you and me um, is that when I'm in Kaylee, nobody cares, like, I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> like, like you, like, people coming over to you, oh, wow, like, nobody, like, I'm just seeing either friends or people I know, and I'm, 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 I'm you know, I'm nobody. So when you're there, it's very different. So I'm like, I like, yeah, you may have like this little sense of like, oh, if I go, like people are going to come up to me or talk to I'm me. I'm a nobody too. Yeah. Nah, yeah. it's not like that. It's not like that. And seeing our I, children, I, seeing our children makes it all worth it, which is, yeah, amazing. I, it, it's weird. Like at, to be at this stage where you're uh, other individual, age, like I now, um, I'll tell you this, uh, you're an adult, was, you're an adult now, Benjamin. I know, but I was in the bunk. I get in the bunk with Yosef and like, uh, so, so to a parent's parents walk in and one of the mothers goes right for the bed and changes the sheets. First thing she does, like, Shai's like, did you do that? I'm like, no. That's the boys' month of camp. The, uh, yeah. the mothers are coming in to do that. So uh, sitter snippets, you know that every day I give a sitter snippet. Mm. Six-minute sitter snippets. I think we've done 370-something of them at this point. Started from Moda'ani, the first words out of our mouth. And we are almost up to Ga'al Yisrael. We're about to start the Amid, the Shemona Esrei. Which I'm really excited about, and I get, I get, I get partial credit for this one because I, I was telling you for a while that you should be giving Ian Tila. I didn't tell you to do it in six minute chunks, but I was like pushing you for a while, like you should do slanging the sitter, and now here we are. So I'll take a little. Bit. I appreciate that. Uh, the biggest beneficiary is me. The preparation I put in, it's changed my davening, my understanding, my comprehension. I, I'm embarrassed and ashamed to tell you. I can't tell you how many parts of davening, halalukas in particular. I still now will see something and be like, "What does that even mean?" And then I say, "What? Well, I taught that." I go back to my notes and I'm like, <laughs> I, I learned that up. I taught that. I shared that. And it's so easily elusive to be able to remember the parts that don't come as easily as naturally. So I'm really excited The Amida. Amida is the core, the crux, the most central part. As its name suggests, it's the only part of Davin that we're actually standing in front of God in conversation with God. And I'm going to be trying to, to push it out and encourage others. You can sign up for WhatsApp groups where the six minutes pushed right into your WhatsApp group, or you can listen on a podcast player. So this is a shameless plug for Sitter Snippets. But I will ask you, favorite favorite bracha or line clause, what in the Amida jumps out at you? Which words do you always find you're able to hone in on when you say? So that's a good question. I think back to a few years ago, maybe it was more than a few years ago, Rav Mendel Blachman from Karen was spending Shabbos here, and we had a Tish at the, uh, we have local Tish. It was one of those classic of Bach and Friday nights. He just spoke for hours and hours. It was amazing. And at one point he was talking about, uh, I forgot the language. You can help me with the Mishnah Perkeavos about Batal, that we have to be Mavatal, our Ratzon to Hashem's Ratzon. And and so he connected it and that's to, to the words in Shon Esra. We talk about Skava Brachman with Ratzon. And then it would say, it was the Ratzon Tamid. And that when you think, so sometimes if I'm in a, good place to focus, I try to think about what that means, rot zone, and that I have my rot zone, I know Hashem has his rot zone, and at some point, I have to be involved on my rot zone to his, and that, that so sometimes I just focus, uh, think about that word and what that means and, what, and what, what's going on in my life, and well, sometimes when my rot zone seems to be different from Hashem's rot zone, I'm hoping that we end up on uh, with the same rot zone. And then the other one is uh, a credit friend of mine from here, Eitan Austin, who said, uh, I don't know who he quoted, but in Modem, the Erev Avokim Tzaraim, so obviously literally evening, morning, afternoon, but that also can, uh, on a, another level, mean that we're still thankful when it's light out, when things are good, Tzaraim, when it's late afternoon and cloudy, and maybe, or, you know, it's some, dusk, or an Erev, when things aren't so good, and it's dark, and we send, so we start, Hashem is a Hester Panin, 
in all those cases we still say you know we still say modem right beautiful i like both of us but i have to interrupt before i enter to post this look at that look at that youtube <laughs> comment wow there are so many things about this youtube comment first of all our mother-in-law whom we love thank you so much mom the fact that she's watching the fact that she's commenting on youtube <laughs> and the fact that she's proud of us amazing we love it thanks mom we love you too we're proud of you too and happy birthday abba said that's what you need in order to be able to reach uh longevity and health um i have different sentences that jump out as you were saying i think whatever's going on in your life different moments different times different points certainly there's someone you love you think about rifainu uh, i know whatever i'm doing right now these months as we're still davening hard esther tahila bas ariel Tsipora, um we're, we're we're davening so hard for Esti Moskowitz and joined the one-on-one campaign. Again, big push, minute daily giving, a dollar daily giving, minute daily learning. Um, so Rafainu, for me, it has not been hard to concentrate, even if I'm lost in every other bracha. But Rafainu, when there's someone you know and love and and you think about. Um, and there are other moments and other things that um you know you, you think about depending on what's going on. So for example, last week I was thinking about the sentence, you know, sometimes you're thinking there, there are people who have some some plan, they have it in for you, they're trying to hurt you. Uh, some of the ugly underbelly of social media when people can unfairly attack you and be missing facts or make assumptions or be totally ignorant and choose to nonetheless be attacking in a really painful way. So there are times in Rabbanus, I was speaking to another public personality uh, this week who said he regularly thinks about that sentence in davening. That's what jumps out at him. But I would say much more inspiring than um, that sentence. What jumps out at me is um, the idea that there are those righteous people who are always feeling connected to you, Hashem. Let my portion be with them. Let me be among them. And let me not be embarrassed or ashamed. Let me be a proud Jew, a faithful Jew. And let me never be embarrassed or ashamed for that. So I think, you know, depending on what's going on in life, we all, different different words jump off the page. And it's okay. Like, stop and reflect and meditate and lean into those words, whatever's speaking to you, jumping off that page for you that day. I'm excited to to start the Amida with you. I'm excited that, uh, you know, that this is, um, you know, there, there's been a lot between the beginning and now. And it's like, it's like now it's like, I don't want to say it's the climax because there's still a lot more even after that, but this is, right. it's significant to like really get into the Amida. So we say three times a day, sometimes Shabbos four times. So to really get into that and explore and learn and just help, hopefully help, help everybody daven better uh, each time. Yeah. And the focus, the emphasis, what I try to share because it's what speaks to me. Um, you know, I love the beautiful interpretations, but it's not fancy highfalutin interpretations. I'm not trying to impress anybody with sources. It's all relevant. It's real. And, and the goal here is not only to talk about the Amida in the six minutes a day, but by by focusing on the Amida, really actually getting to a better place in a relationship altogether with God. What does it mean? Who is he? Who are we? What does it mean to feel praise? What is it, why are we asking him? How do we express that gratitude? If you want to sign up, you can join a WhatsApp group. It's pushed into the WhatsApp group. You can listen on a podcast, rabbiafrongorg.org slash sitter with two Ds, S-I-D-D-U-R. Quick fact check. It's a little longer than six minutes these days. Uh, not today. First of all, no, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, since you're calling me out, I will say the following. I will say the following. You maybe did give me the original idea to focus on Ian Tfila. First of all, every rabbi will tell you they're looking for something to say between Menachemarev and Shul. Kitsa uh, Shulchan, I mean, there's the classic whatever. When I first moved here, you were doing, I think, Shubas from Mervavi Nair. 
I did Shuvas of Rav Avinir, Sheilas Shlomo. I did the the um, Chashukei Chemed. I did Rav Zilberstein. I did Prakim of Tanakh. I did Mishnayos. Mm-hmm. I did the whole Sefer Tefillah Kilchasa. I was always looking, and then I realized this is the most meaningful. I mean, we're there to daven. So you've just said Mincha. You're about to say Marav. If there's a little something that can can ignite or light something up, it's it's really again for me and other people can listen. That's why I started it. Um, why did I call it six minute? So our dear friend Rabbi Arya Libowitz has a ten minute halacha. I don't know if everyone's made a spreadsheet. If anyone in the world would have, it'd be you to figure out on average how long is the ten minute halacha. I love Rabbi Libowitz. The topics he's tackling cannot be tackled in ten minutes. I'm not sure if there's ever been a ten minute halacha or when the most last recent 10-minute halach is. So I will say that I'm liberal in my definition of six minutes. Six minutes for me is not the six-minute mark. It's six minutes and 59 seconds. As long as the first number is six, I feel like I'm at six <laughs> minutes. Seven. Now I get into the seven. Rarely I hit an eight. Um, there are enough people actually who start giving me really ugly looks. Mm-hmm. But I try to end it at a six. So 6.59 to me is still a six-minute sitter snippet. Okay, well, we'll stick with that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know... The, this this whole fact checking thing that we're talking about, like I remember, you know, I, I don't, you talk about like you said some nice things at the start of the show about me moving here and you know all the nice you know, the nice things that I did, but I started calling you out, like you know when I would say that that story that you told that you opened that was you know had people like in tears, like the story about Yitzhak Perlman playing with three strings. I don't think that's true. Let me look that. Up. Let me look into that. Oh, turns out it's not true. Like I I, I don't I don't you know debated. It's Snopes not debated. It didn't happen. The what? It could have happened, but it could have happened, and they didn't say it about me and you. Okay, but like, I, I, I will say, I think, I think since I've since I've started checking you on these, you've gotten more like, especially with quotes, right? Like the quotes that used to just assume that okay, if I, if I you know, if someone on the internet says that it's Mark Twain, I guess it's Mark Twain. But like now, it's like oh, a, a, a quote of anonymous attribution or a quote of you know, uh, mysterious maybe. origin. Yeah, maybe we'll be a little stricter today, but but I still, if if it's a great quote or story, I'll still tell it. But maybe I'll say. You know, maybe it's apocryphal, but they tell the following story or the following story is right. said. So I don't say the following happened. I say the following story is said. You know what I just found out uh, like a year ago? There's a story I think we all kind of heard growing up about where the base of McDush was built, about two brothers who, you know, one brother had a big family. You know, do you know the story I'm talking about? One brother had a big family. One brother had no family. And they would stay and then one and they would uh, each give the other one more. So apparently... I looked into this, not not enough, but apparently there's no actual Jewish source for this. Like it's, or at least not, it's, it's supposedly Gemara. There's no Gemara. It's supposedly a Medrash. Now you are the rabbi. I am the, uh, you know, you, I'm definitely the Amaretz here. So you could correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that I've ever, and I, again, I looked into this a little bit, but there might not actually be a real authentic old source for this. This is where the spot, in other words, when you're going to There are, there are the several examples of that. We have that. We have that. There's a story that makes the rounds all the time about they say in the name of Chavetz Chaim. They say in Surah Chassidish Rebbe's that right when I was young, I thought I could change the world. Then I got a little older. I tried to change um, my country, tried to change my community, tried to change my family. Then I realized I have to change myself. If I change myself, I could change my family. Right? They tell that story. Apparently, it's on the tombstone of the Archbishop of Canterbury or something. It's not really of Jewish origin. <laughs> so there are a lot of stories like that. I once used the expression to Dr. Professor Lawrence Schiffman. I used the expression "Ain Navi Biiro." which means there's no profit in his community. So right. like you reflect on, you know how many scholars and residents that we pay thousands of dollars to bring to Boca and we packed the house with hundreds of people and they gave a weekly shear in their community that four people come to. Because when someone lives in the community in that city, you take them for granted, ain't never be hero. 
To which Dr. Schiffman said to me, you do know that that comes from the New Testament, which I did not, <laughs> so, which I did not. So we have all kinds of uh, statements like that that have made their way in. But the idea is some of these we just take for granted because we heard it. And we're like, you know, if you heard enough times, then and, and, and by the way, like you, you look this stuff up and there are big people who quote this as fact without because they just heard it. And it's you hear it enough times, it just becomes part of our lore, for lack of a better word. And it's not necessarily really part of it. And it's just, you know, again, you've got to make the claim that this is the spot. Okay, that one second. Hold on. It's possible the no. fact checker is being fact checked by the father of the fact checker. <laughs> Who tells us that is it possible it's a Zohar? I'm thinking Rabirudinsky quoted a Zohar. I mean, if there's anyone who knows it's Rabirudinsky, so yes. I, I mean, maybe that's this might be my happiest moment of all time. That the father <laughs> of the fact checker is fact checking the fact checker about a fact check that he's trying to say. Uh, you're that better than that, that, that. I do want to thank you... Ellie Lassen. I love Ellie Lassen. A 12 minute snippet <laughs> is really a six minute snippet. Yeah, but that doesn't work when you're when you're in the room. It doesn't, it's true. You cannot turn up the speed while it's live, while it is live. That is fair to say. Binyamin, thank you for joining me as the surprise co-host tonight. Oh, are we, are we done? Are we, are, are we not going to talk about Rav Schefter eating locusts? Because that was, that, that's the highlight of the week. That is the highlight of the week, the video. Which you saw the, I sent you that video. I saw the video. I saw it long before you sent it. It was making okay. the rounds all over. I love, first of all, that he's like on his way to learn. He was interrupted. Yeah. The second he chewed it, he put his head back in the Gemara. And <laughs> he was like, sure, delicious. I'll eat that. He made the bracha, dropped it. Now, yes. by the way, from Twitter is lit up with the question. Yes. Did he not eat another one because he wanted to clean up the floor? Because right. he felt whichever you make the bracha on is the one that you should eat, not a different one you didn't make the bracha on. What was the motivation we'll have to get to behind the bima, behind the psak of why Rav Schechter ate the locust that he dropped first on the, would, on the floor? Would you, would you eat the locust? No. No. It's disgusting. What's, I mean, what's that's the... real. My take of when he picked it up off the floor was, there's some things that if they go on the floor, it, it's not <laughs> going to. I mean, it was nasty before it hit the floor. It can't get more nasty because it hit the floor. So, I was okay if, with it. it. What is the, like, what's the weirdest thing? Like, have you ever been served something like not locust, but something like that's just really out there? Like, um, what's the craziest thing I've eaten? Yeah, like, I dare you to eat. I'm I'm not that kind of guy, you know. My daughter, I won't say which one, Atar, liked to when she was younger would eat the eyeball of the fish on Rosh Hashanah. We Ooh, all knew that was wow. a big part of the. We we have both nights a beautiful Rosh Hashanah seder. My wife puts out amazing, like little seder plate for everyone with each of the simanim. We go through it. It's a lot of fun. It's beautiful. And uh, so, what one of my children would eat the eyeball of the fish, um, but that's not me. I'm not. Uh, it sounds like a. There was I remember seeing that video years ago when it went. Uh, it's more like a, one of these uh, Ravelli Stefanski things that he, I think he pretended to eat like a uh, fish blood or something, or like he it was, it was one yes. of these things that he does. Yes. And, uh, it, I, I think it, it was fish of, blood. Right. It was fish blood. Right. But it was yeah. fake. He pretended right. it was real. Right. But, he shared way, that story, by the way. He shared that story um, on. Yeah. On Behind the Bima. I was going to say, you know, a few weeks ago, you said something about how um, the Lakewood Adiria Torah, how they fill the room and they pack the room. And say what you want. Ravelli Stefanski, 1,600 people. At a CM on Yavamos in New York. 1,600 people. I mean, we know people that are in, that are just, you know, the show, Rabbi Brody. I mean, people that are just so right. into it, and it's like he's got something going there. Ooh, I, I was just reminded by uh, someone I'm related to <laughs> that that same daughter, by the way, who used to enjoy the eyeball of the fish, I came home several months ago. They were visiting, 
And uh, she said, Abba, check out this jelly bean. It's delicious. I made a shahakal. I ate the jelly bean, thinking I was putting a delicious jelly bean in my mouth. It turns out there's, it turns out there's a jelly belly game where you have yes. disgusting tasting. So this jelly bean was made from or synthetic version of like one of the spiciest substances on earth. My mouth was beyond on fire. I basically drank a gallon of milk, which, if, if you know me, is not a simple commitment to make. <laughs> right. But the pain, the pain of the spiciness and sharpness. So you know, it's it, you're forbidden to take revenge. Revenge is forbidden in Judaism. <laughs> um, but uh, let's just say we have not forgotten that yet. So I think that game is called Bean Boozled, and I'm pretty sure that there was a chabura given uh, after the Eshkol Minyan several years ago by Dr. Evan Landau on whether, uh, I think the, the Chabur was, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it was about brachos if you're playing Bean Boozle, because if you're making a bracha, but you, the thing you might eat is disgusting, right. is that bracha of Atala? Right. Um, I think I think there was some candy giveaway at the yeah. uh, at the Chabura. I was out of town. I was, uh, we had a family simcha up north that you may or may not have attended. I forgot, I, I don't know. I think that was... Yeah. I, our wives were texting on the side and watching the hours go on. We're going to hit the like BRS staff um, marathon version. Our, our, our texting, this is why at family simchas and meals, the two of us are never allowed to be seated next to each other. True story? Fact checker, true? It's it's true. And it's, 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 frankly, it's frankly shocking and it's it's insulting. That, that, you know, God forbid we should enjoy each other's company and spend time together. That we should put saying, opposite what, ends of What would make you prouder than, than your husband's brothers-in-law wanting to be near each other? It's it's insulting. It's just insulting. Is the, like, is God forbid shvigar, we can enjoy Is the Schwigger still listening? What do you think? <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty late. It's but don't forget, late. They, they, I mean, listen, tomorrow. What would you like to wrap it up with? I don't know. You know what I'm thinking about? How am I going to record the opening to this? It's going to be weird. Like a whole meta-like opening here. <laughs> Like Rabbi Goldberg is joined by, yeah. I, I don't say, like, that's weird. Joined by yours truly. Yours truly. Well, How's, we still welcome your uh, comments if people want to weigh in on yeah. the Oxford comma. We do have a few people weigh in. Okay. Um, I, Avi, Avi Friedman, I vote for the Oxford comma and two spaces after a period. So that's yeah, gave right. one to each of us. Uh, we got a uh, Ellie Lassen, two spaces after periods and the last comma. So that's interesting. We're getting, we're getting several. One and one. Okay. Well, let me give you a scenario. Let me give you a scenario. This, this is this is the check. This is to to for the for the purposes of Rav Weiss, the guest checkmate here. Okay. You're writing your first book, and in the acknowledgments, you write the following sentence: "I'd like to thank my parents, the Rebona Shalom, and Elon Musk." Okay. Where are you putting the commas? I like to thank my. So if you don't use an Oxford comma, it would right. be I'd like to thank my parents, comma. Three bonus on Elon Musk, which sounds like no, 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 you're making an assumption. You're choosing to read it that way because you say the comma's not there. So I read the last two things together joined by the that's, end. That's no, how it works. Yes. No, because the, the argument of my position is that you're choosing to read it that way, but that's not the only way to read it. When you see it presented as a list, you read it as a list with the end only separating the last thing from everything that comes before or adding to it, but not joining the last two things together. So okay, I, but you know, I, you, eliminate the, you, you can eliminate that confusion entirely by just putting the, the, the comma between item two and three. Mm. And you never, and there's never any doubt. It's so simple. Mm. I'd, just sure. think about that sentence. I'd like to thank my parents, the Rebona Shalom and Elon Musk. And then like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. My parents don't, I, you have to put the, third, the, the second comma in there. Uh, and I, I don't have the checkmate for one space after a period, but it's, it's fairly obvious. 
Uh, this just in from a fact checker too. That video that we're referencing of Mori Varabi apparently has been taken down from the internet. Apparently, uh, the original person nothing gets, removed no, it. Nothing gets taken down from the internet. I so understand. It is <laughs> and in fact, the fact checker can help you find things that ostensibly have been taken down, but you want to be able to research for your uh, for your research purposes. Uh, closing thoughts, Benjamin. What would you like to share about redlining, editing, fact checking? Uh, your your illustrious histori historical career in broadcasting, which has been revived um, tonight on Behind the Bima? Yeah, I mean, I was always that kid. Some kids grow up thinking they're going to be like, they, they watch a sports game and like, I'm going to be the guy, you know, pitching or hitting the home run or, you know, scoring the game when he touched on. I was like, I'm going to be the guy announcing. So like, that was well, always... No offense, but I've seen you play sports, so I understand. <laughs> Do you, Should we talk about who's winning in our uh, ping pong series? Uh, one second. That, this version of the ping pong series, it depends how far back you go. No, it doesn't. Either way, it's okay. If we talk about tennis, it's advantage you. If we talk about ping pong, it's me. Basketball, uh, what else? Oh, the pitching. Uh, In any case, you decided you're yeah. going to be a broadcaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as you as uh, you can tell, things worked out differently. I but I never kind of gave it up. I you, I heard you talk about this earlier. I did broadcast for the YU Max. Uh, I did have an internship at WFA and made some fun connections there. And uh, so I always harbored that dream and anytime I get to even get a slice of it whether it's you know doing the intro for behind Lima or uh things of that nature I I, I enjoy the chance to uh, pretend like I had this alternate life where I was yes. a broadcaster things of that nature for sure absolutely mm -hmm. well we appreciate I want to give a bracha as we close that every rabbi community leader should have a binyamin who helps them uh behind the scenes not that it has to be tonight you're you're ahead of the scenes um but uh, really a tremendous asset and uh, I thank you for all that you do for our community and uh, and for me, you certainly um, enrich my life enormously. So big thank you. So it's a joy, it's a pleasure, and it's a solace, and it's a real honor to be uh, to, to to help you um, do the amazing things that you do. I appreciate that. So again, a very happy 70th birthday to our father-in-law, Dr. Robert Brookstein. Many more in good health. Bali Ayan Hara. Uh, please sign up for the 101 campaign. Dollar a day of Tzedakah through daily giving. Dr. Donath, a minute a day of Torah learning. Sign up at brsonline.com. ORG slash one and one. Sitter Snippets Amida coming up. What's your favorite? Share with us what you believe about grammar. Share with us what you feel is your favorite sentence in the Amida. Share with us what your secrets to a healthy marriage of Moshe and Mary Weiss. Our wives are texting right now that we are ignoring him as we do not end this episode. Um, but what is your secret to a long and healthy marriage? We're grateful. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.